Hey, good morning. It's really great to uh, be back here with you this morning and to see uh, some familiar faces again. Uh, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to be taking a look at verses 3 through 5 this morning. Uh, that's where we're going to be, where we're going to be spending the, the majority of our time. And if you don't have a Bible with you here uh, today, I would invite you to use one of the Bibles that are in the racks in front of you. You can find our text on page 1,380, so page 1380. So over the last several months at Calvary Baptist, we've been going through the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges is, is named after an interesting collection of individuals who led the nation of Israel uh, after the time of Joshua's death all the way up to the rise of the monarchy under Samuel. And that was, uh, during this time, it was a time of nat uh, national decline for the nation of Israel, despite their promises to keep the covenant. So the people had turned away from the Lord and had began worshiping other gods. And one of the main themes that we see developing in this book is that, that um, the notion that during this period in Israel's history, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, if you think about it, that's not all that unlike what we see today going, around, going on in the world around us. And because of that, because of the fact that we live in a world where you know, people have just rejected the idea of absolute right and wrong and they just do what is right according to them, it's more important than ever that we as the people of God develop and build a foundation of biblical thinking. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you would, let's read this text together. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the, not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning for the privilege of coming into your presence. I thank you for this day that you have given us uh, to be able to gather together with your people on the Lord's Day and to worship you with song and praise and to sit under the ministry and teaching of your word. I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would send your spirit to minister to us, that you would open our eyes, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would illuminate your word for us this morning so that we may be changed. We just thank you and praise you in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. So I can't help but think this morning of some recent events in the news. We've seen rioting. We've heard about assassination threats against our newly elected president. Uh, we've seen protests. There have been stories of college students who are just so distraught they can't go to class. And we see that the colleges, are, they're just all too willing to accommodate them. Uh, I heard about one protest in New York City recently where the, the person leading the protest wasn't even old enough to vote. Uh, and, and what they're basically saying is, I, I didn't get my way. Uh, I didn't get what I want. So I'm going to kick and scream and, and throw a tantrum until I get it. And these are things that even as recently as eight years ago, we wouldn't, they've been, they were unheard of. We wouldn't have even thought to see these things happening. But that's what happens when you live in a world or live in a, a society that says, what might be right for me may not be right for you. That's what happens when you live in a society where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And the heart of the problem today is really no different than the heart of the problem that we saw in Israel at the time of the judges. The problem is sin. And in this case, and in the case of Israel, it was the sin of idolatry. And at the heart of this sin of idolatry is ungodly thinking. It's wrong thinking about God. We read in Judges chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, 
It says, as soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. It says there that the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from their enemies. Now the word remember there, it doesn't mean that Israel forgot about God. It's not like I forgot what I had for dinner last night. It's, it's, what it means is they weren't mindful of him. He wasn't part of their thinking. Uh, he, wasn't thought of how they, he wasn't part of how they looked or thought about the world as they went about their lives on a daily basis. And as a result of this ungodly thinking, we see that the nation of Israel fell into idolatry, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And you see, this wrong thinking about God didn't start with the nation of Israel. It, it started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. If you remember the serpent, Satan working through the serpent, what he did is he deceived Eve's thinking. He got her to doubt what God had said, and as a result of that, humanity was plunged into sin. And because our thinking has been corrupted by sin, we struggle to think biblically about the world and how we as Christians are to live in it. Now, if you would, keep your finger on 2 Corinthians, but I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be spending a little time there as well, so Romans chapter 1. Starting in verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what I want you to think about as we're going through this, uh, th- this passage this morning and thinking about building a foundation of, of biblical thinking, what I want you to think about is, do we as Christians, do we recognize that first and foremost, our thinking has been corrupted by sin? Okay, it's not an obvious thing, right, when we think about it, but I want everyone to realize this morning that our thinking, our very thoughts, have been corrupted by sin. In verse 21 of Romans, it says, but their thinking, they they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So because of their ungodly or their wrong thinking, their hearts were darkened. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, I want you to realize it's not talking about the, the muscle that's about the size of your fist that's in the middle of your chest pumping blood throughout your body. When the Bible talk, talks about the heart, what it's talking about is it's talking about the, the seat of our intellect and our emotions and our, and our thoughts. It's really talking about the inner man, the inner being. That's the, the heart. So because of futile thinking, our inner man has been darkened. So what's the result of this? What's, what's the result of this? First and foremost, we don't look at the world the way that God had designed us to look at the world. And if we read and follow along in Romans, uh, we see in We pick up in verse 22, it says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So the result of this corrupted thinking is idolatry. It says, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So the result of our corrupted thinking is wrong or improper worship. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Now, 
Which, which creature do we primarily worship and serve here today? It's ourselves. Yeah, we primarily worship and serve ourselves. As, as fallen human beings, we see ourselves as the center of the universe. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, we're not immune to this problem. See, even though we've been redeemed, even though our, our sins are forgiven, even though we've been given a new nature, until we're glorified, we're going to continue to struggle against the forces of the, of the world and the flesh and the devil. You see, they wage war against the spirit that dwells within us. And Paul knows of this struggle very well. He writes in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You see, even though Paul has been redeemed, he still struggles with sin. And anybody here that's a follower of Christ knows that even though we've been redeemed and and our sins have been forgiven by the, the blood of Jesus Christ, we struggle and will continue to struggle with sin this side of glory. So if corrupted thinking leads to to false or misplaced worship, what's the solution? What's the solution? It's it's renewed thinking. The Bible calls us to renew our minds. The solution is biblical thinking. Now, if we were to place our thinking on a continuum, and, and all a continuum is, it's a line between two points. If we were to place our thinking on a continuum, where on the far uh, left-hand side over here you have an exalted view of God and a, and a low view of man. And on the, the far right-hand side over here, you have an exalted view of man or a low or, or no view of God. If we were to place all of our thinking falls somewhere along that continuum. And over here on the, on the far left-hand side where we've got an exalted view of God, our thinking is most biblical. And over here, it's, it's least biblical. It's, it's, uh, if you really think about it, this is where most of the world's thinking is today. They've exalted man, they've, they've set man in the place of God, and, and um, they, they've, you know, they live as if God is, is, doesn't exist, right? That's, that's the world that we live in. And what I want you to think about as we go through our message today is I want you to think about where along this continuum does your thinking lie? See, this is the, even us as followers of Christ, our thinking lies somewhere along this continuum, and it's not, it's not um, uniform. So, so in some areas of our lives, we may have very biblical thinking, In other areas of our lives, I think he may not be so biblical, and and I want you to think about that as we're talking this morning. You see, it's a battle for hearts and minds. That's really what the battle is, and it's a spiritual battle. We don't war against the flesh, but we war against uh, principalities and forces and and, and spiritual spiritual enemies. Uh, Paul writes about this earlier in 2 Corinthians, if we just flip back over there. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 11, talking about the reason why he's addressing the church or the reason why he's written to them. He says, so that we would not be outwitted, outwitted by Satan if we are not ignorant of his designs. He says also in chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it says, uh, talking about Israel, it says, but their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Finally, we read in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, in, the, in, the case, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, Paul reminds us that the unbelieving world, they've had their minds blinded by Satan. It prevents them from seeing the light of the glory of God and from seeing the light of the gospel. You see, the world, apart from Jesus Christ, is spiritually blind. And if we're going to stand against these forces, if we're going to wage war against these forces that battle against us, our thinking needs to be founded and rooted in 
Christ. We need to view reality from the perspective of the truth of Christ. And because the way that we think shapes so much of our lives, as Christians, our thinking must be founded and rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ. So our main text this morning gives us a grid by which we can evaluate our thinking. Allow me to read it again. It says, We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what Paul is saying here is the way that we destroy or battle against worldly thinking, the way that we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God is by aligning our thoughts and bringing them under submission to the lordship of Christ. So what we're going to do is this morning is we're going to look at how our thinking shapes our lives in three areas. So the first thing we're going to look at is how our thinking shapes how we see the world. So we're going to look at how our thinking shapes how we see the world. Second, we're going to look at how our thinking shapes how we view ourselves, how we form and build our identities. And third, we're going to look at how our thinking shapes how we experience life. So how we see the world, how we see ourselves, and how we experience life. And then finally, as we wrap up, we're going to take a look at how we can have or make sure that our thinking is as biblical as it possibly can be, how, it can be, uh, how we can build this foundation of biblical truth. So the first thing we see is we, th- we see that our thinking shapes how we see the world. You see, every one of us has a worldview. Every one of us has a way of looking at the world and attempt to make sense of reality. One author writing on worldviews puts it this way, He says, a worldview must offer a way to live that is consistent with reality by offering a comprehensive understanding of all areas of life and thought, every aspect of creation. See, and whether we realize it or not, we all look at the world through a set of filters. And these filters are based on things like our upbringing, it's based on our our life experiences, it's based on the culture we live in, it's it's based on the people we spend time with. All of us have a, a filter through which we view reality. It's like looking at the world through a set of glasses, right? We put on a set of glasses when we take a look at the world, and and if those lenses are out of focus, that's going to really give us a distorted view of the way things are. And and has anybody ever heard the saying that uh, so-and-so looks at the world, they they wear a a set of rose-colored glasses? Has anybody ever heard that? Yeah, what that's saying is this person looks at the world in an idealistic way. They're not looking at the world the way things really are. And the problem is if our thinking is not rooted and founded in the truth of Christ— If we're not looking at the way or filtering the way we look at the world through the lens of Jesus, we're not going to be looking at the world the way things really, really are. We're not going to see the world the way that that God has created it. See, at the very heart of the Christian worldview is is the central affirmation of Scripture, and that is that there is a God, and not only is God the creator and sustainer of all things, this God has spoken. God has spoken. See, God is Lord and King. He's the the ruler of heaven and earth. All things work according to the counsel of his will and for his good pleasure. And all this he has put on display in order that his creation may worship and adore him. But what do we do instead? What does our culture tell us to do? We, We all follow after our own way. We do what we think is right in our own eyes. And this stands in stark contrast to the way the world views reality. See, there's this great spiritual battle that is raging for hearts of minds, and it's raging for the hearts of minds and of men and women that are around us every single day. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves in, in the midst of this cosmic struggle between the truth of Christ and, and a morally indifferent culture. 
And Paul recognizes that the, the, the battle is spiritual. He writes in 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. And unfortunately, we as Christians, you see, we're not immune to the spiritual blindness. We're bombarded on a, on a daily basis by a worldview that's, or worldviews that are not only incoherent, they, they range a full array of opinions from naturalism to, to supernatural superstition to uh, pre-modern thought, post-modern thought, moral relativism. relativism. We live in a world and, and that does what is right according to their own eyes. And, and the problem is every single person we encounter has their own opinion on how these things are. Now, some of you may have heard this. I, I actually heard some of these sayings over uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, so they're fresh in my mind. But uh, some, of me, some of us may have heard people say things like, I'm free to do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anyone else. Uh, what right do you have to tell anyone else what is right and wrong for them? Has anyone ever heard that one? How about, there's no such thing as absolute truth. What's right for me may not be right for you, and vice versa. And if you found yourself thinking along these lines, let me ask you, how do you know it's true? If you were to say or you were to think, what's right for me may not be right for you, is that right? Now, some of you might get that on, on the way out this morning. You see, <laughs> when, we, when, we, when we weigh those statements in light of the word of God, we see that none of them are, are a reflection of the way things really are. They are what is called lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. However, when we take those thoughts captive to obey Christ, we see the following. So instead of, I'm free to do whatever I want as long as, I'm not, as long as I don't hurt anyone else, we see we're not free to do whatever we want, but we're accountable to obey the one who created us. See, we take that lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and submit it to the truth of Christ. If we take, what right do you have to tell anyone, anyone else what is right, right and wrong for them? If we take that lofty opinion and submit that to Christ, we see we do have a right to tell others what is right and wrong for them because right and wrong is not a matter of creaturely opinion but a matter of the opinion of the creator. If we were to take, there's no absolute truth, what's right for me may not be right for you and we submit that to Christ, we see that there is absolute truth. See, truth is not a matter of opinion, but a person. Truth is not a matter of opinion, but a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and in him are rooted or hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So one thing I want you to do this morning, another question I want you to ask yourself is, what areas of how I view the world have I not submitted to the lordship, rule, and reign of Jesus Christ? And those are tough questions to ask. They're, they're tough, but they're necessary. They're necessary. See, as we're sanctified, as we're, as we're conformed into the image of Christ, the way that happens is the Spirit working through us, more and more, the Spirit conforms more and more of our lives to the Lordship of Christ. See, that's how we're sanctified. That's how we're made to be like Him. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if, if you've not bowed the knee to Him in repentance and faith, I want you to ask yourself, is my view of the world, is the way that I view the world consistent with reality? Is it consistent with the way things really are? And how would I know? How would I know? So that's how our thinking shapes how we see the world. Now we're going to look at how our thinking shapes the way we see ourselves. Now when you think about yourself, uh, what are some of the things that come to mind? Maybe you're a mother. Maybe you're a father. Maybe you're a son. Maybe you're a daughter, a husband, a wife, 
Uh, maybe you're a business owner or, or an employee. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're a teacher or, or a student. See, oftentimes when we think about ourselves, we tend to think in those categories. Have you ever met somebody for the first time at, at a gathering and, and the first question that they ask you is, well, what do you do for a living? All right, and we're so quick, if you notice, we're so quick to answer or talk about our profession. Now, why is that? Why is it that our, our natural response is to ask somebody what they do and, and our answer to be our, our occupation? Why do you think that is? See, so many of us are built and formed our identities on what we do. And the reason is for that is we live in a culture that places a premium on things like money and, and looks and power and success and social status. And because of that, because of the world that we live in, we tend to think about ourselves in, in relation to how we're doing in those categories. How am I doing as a, a mother or a father or a, an employee or a business owner? And the problem is if our thinking is too far on the right-hand side of that continuum where we have a, a, an exalted view of man and a lower or no view of God, what happens is that thinking tends to shape and form our identity. It shapes how we see ourselves and who we think we are. And the problem with that is, you see, the way the world works is they tell you to, to search your feelings, right? So they tell you to get one inside yourself, search your feelings, figure out what my desires are, and then, I, and then go be that person. The problem is, if we recognize that our thinking is corrupted by sin, we tend to filter those feelings and desires through what the, what the society and culture around us tells us is okay. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I want you to imagine with me a, a high-powered businessman, and, and he lives in a culture that, that, that prizes wealth and power. And this man has two desires. He's got two desires. His first desire is to make a lot of money so that he can gain the respect of his peers. That's desire number one. The second desire is he wants to stand for social justice. Now, living in a culture that prizes wealth and power, what he's going to do is he's going to take that desire to go and make money so that he can earn the respect of his peers, and what he's going to do is he's going to say, this is who I want to be, and then he's going to go and express that. He's going to take that desire to stand for social justice and say, that, that's not who I am, and he's going to repress that and, and, and control that emotion because he lives in a, in a culture that prizes wealth and money. Now I want you to imagine a millennial uh, going to college, and she has those same two desires. She's got those same exact two desires. So what is she going to do? She's going to look at the, that desire for, for wealth and power and money and say, that's not who I want to be, and she's going to fight against that and suppress that, and she's going to look at that desire to stand for social justice and say, this is me, this is who I want to be, and go and express that. Why? Because she lives in a culture that, that prizes those things. So what does that tell us? What does that tell us? That tells us if, we have, if our thinking or if our thoughts are shaped by our culture uh, and we base our identity on our thoughts and feelings and desires, we're really slaves to the culture around us. So instead of being free to be who we want to be like the world tells us, we're really slaves who the, to who the world says it's okay to be. So the reality is, what that tells us is our sense of identity cannot come from within us. It has to come from outside of us. So when we take that lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God that says your identity is based on feelings and desires, if we take that and submit that to obey Christ, what happens? We read in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in 
glory. So what Paul tells us in that passage is to set our minds on things that are above, where Christ is seated. What that means is instead of thinking as Christians, instead of thinking of our identity in worldly categories, we have to think of who we are in light of our identity in Christ. Our identity is founded and rooted in him. Christ is our life. And that's why the gospel is so liberating. The reason the gospel is so liberating is it says that your, your worth and your acceptance is not based on your success or based on performance or social status or, or things like uh, moral decency or being religious. Your, your identity is not based on that. You're accepted and you're worthy because your identity is based and rooted in Christ and him alone. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, how does that truth about your identity affect how you see yourself? When we think of our identity in those categories, that we have been raised with Christ and we are seated with him now, how does that affect the way that we see ourselves? It, it should have a profound effect because it's completely against what the world tells us. And what I want you to realize, though, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if, if you haven't turned to him in repentance and faith, then your identity, who you think you are, is not based on truth, but it's, it's based on what the world says is acceptable. And the problem with that is you've bought into a lie. Again, what the world tells you to do is it tells you, search your heart, figure out who you want to be, and, and go be that person, right? That's what the world says. And then again, we know that we filter those feelings and desires through what the world says is acceptable. But the problem is what the world says is acceptable changes every five minutes. It's not rooted and grounded in truth. It's no wonder so many people today are, are going through identity crises. See, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been robbed of your identity. You've been robbed. And I think of this generation that's, that's coming up today, this generation of young people who have bought into the lie that says there is no God, that they're nothing but the product of, of natural forces, that they, they've been robbed of their identity. You see, they think that we're nothing but highly evolved animals. There's, there's no transcendent truth. There's no transcendent meaning. Uh, when I die, I'm just going to cease to exist and Nothing that I do here and now matters. That's a lie. They've been robbed. And the truth is, the reality is, though, that, that we are creatures created in the image of God. So we have worth because we are created in the image of our creator. That's the truth. But what's also true, what comes alongside of that, is the fact that as a human being, as a, as a creature created in God's image, because of the fall of Adam, we have been born guilty of sin and under the wrath of God. See, we're born and we're, we're rebels. We're born as rebels against God. And, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So no matter how good you are, no matter how good of a person you think you might be, no matter how moral you may think you be, no matter of all the good deeds that you've done, you can never earn your salvation because God requires absolute perfection. But there's hope. There's hope. See, 2,000 years ago, the, the eternal Son of God left his throne on high, came to earth, took on human flesh. He lived a perfectly holy and righteous life, bled and died on a Roman cross, was buried and rose three days later, and he did this so that he could save sinners. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, it also says that if you confess your sins, Jesus is righteous and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, and the Bible also says when you do that, 
Your old self, your old identity is crucified with Christ. You see, you're born again. You're given a new identity. No longer are you accepted based on things like your success and your performance or your moral behavior or anything else, but you're accepted based on the perfect righteousness of Christ alone. And you stand justified for all eternity in the presence of a holy God. See, that's our true, that's our birthright. And finally, we see that our thinking shapes the way or how we experience life. So, so far we've talked about how our thinking shapes how we see the world. We've talked about how our, our thinking shapes the way we see ourselves. And both of those things together ultimately shape how we see or experience life. See, how we experience life ultimately boils down to how we or where our thinking lies on that continuum. You see, if we've got right or if we've got biblical thinking about God and man, where we've got an exalted view of God and a low view of man, our thinking is on the the far left-hand side of the continuum. To that degree, to the degree that your thinking is farther to the right or to, to this side of the continuum, we experience things like blessedness and joy and satisfaction. But the, think, the further our thinking is on this side of the continuum, on the right, where we've got a, an exalted view of man and a low view of God, we experience things like distress and anxiety and despair and guilt, anger. Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. He writes, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, to have an exalted view of man, where man is at the center of the universe and and everything that is created to worship and serve him, is to have the mind set on the flesh. So what does that look like? What does it look like to have our minds set on the flesh. See, when our primary concerns in in this life are about our wants and our desires and what's in it for me and what's fair for me, that's to have a mind set on the flesh. So let's play that out in in reality. What does that look like in our day-to-day lives? So let's say, for example, my wife sins against me. She she had a really rough day with the kids. Uh, Let's say it's 6 p.m. and she's frustrated because nobody's done their homework. At the same time, she's trying to cook dinner, and, and because she's also trying to get the kids to do their homework, dinner's ruined. Uh, the dog, uh, uh, as she usually does, has dug a hole in the bottom of the fence, and now she's out gallivanting around the neighborhood. No one knows where she is. To top it all off, she's got a pounding migraine headache, and, and I come home from work, and I'm happy-go-lucky, and for no reason at all, she lets me have it. She just unloads on me. Now, I just want you to realize this is a, a hypothetical situation. Uh, well, at least the part about her unloading on me. Uh, she, she, she usually deals with a lot of those same struggles. But because she's a godly woman, because the, the godly woman she is, she quickly realizes what she's done and she seeks my forgiveness. See, me, on the other hand, me, however, because I'm the center of my universe, because everything was created to worship and serve me, I refuse to forgive her. I mean, I'm, after all, I'm hurt, I'm angry. And this lack of forgiveness on my part leads to unrighteous behavior because now I'm giving her the cold shoulder. Right? I'm not paying attention to her. I'm ignoring her. I'm, I'm, I'm punishing her. Now, if we get to the heart of the issue here, the heart of the, my experience of, of life in that moment, which is ultimately a state of anger and frustration, 
that can be traced back to my unrighteous thinking, right? I'm the center of the universe. She should be worshiping and serving me. And that leads to unrighteous behavior, which is me giving her the cold shoulder and withholding forgiveness. That can all be traced back to wrong thinking about God. See, it's wrong thinking because my thinking is I'm the center of the universe. Everything's created to worship and serve me rather than God. Now, if we look at that lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God that says, as, as man, I'm the center of the universe, if we take that lofty opinion and we take that and we submit that to obey Christ, what do we see? We see that God is the center of the universe and all things are created to worship and serve him. I would recognize that a sinner saved by grace, the sins that I've committed against God are way worse than anything my wife did against me. And because that, because I'm forgiven, I have no right or no justification for withholding forgiveness from my wife. When I recognize that Jesus, the sins that my sins put Christ on the cross and that he bled and died to save me from my sin, how can I not forgive my wife? See, it's worse than that too. You see, it's worse than that because the reality is because my wife is a Christian, what that means is that sin that she committed against me, Jesus died to pay for that sin. But by me withholding forgiveness from her, what I'm saying is the punishment that Christ took for her sin was not enough. I've got to punish her more. That's what I'm saying. So I give her the cold shoulder because I've got, I got to punish her more. But again, when we take our thinking captive to obey Christ and recognize that the forgiveness that is made available to us in him, how can we, how can we withhold forgiveness from one another? You can take the same thinking and apply it to any relationship in the body of Christ. Any relationship, when our, our brother sins against us, when our, our children who have, who have professed faith in Christ sin against us, and we don't forgive them, we withhold forgiveness, what are we doing? We're basically saying to them, I've got to punish you more, and that sin that has been forgiven on the cross, the punishment that Christ took is not enough. And when we recognize, though, that that is unrighteous thinking, when that we've got an exalted view of man and a low view of God, and we, and we strive for more biblical thinking, which sees God at the center of the universe and recognizes that we are sinners saved by grace, it changes the way that we experience life. When I take those, thought, thought, thoughts, thoughts, when I take those thoughts captive to, captive to obey him, what happens is instead of coming home and, and giving my wife the cold shoulder and being angry when she wrongs me, I have a desire to love and to serve her. It changes the way that I experience my life. So instead of having a life uh, uh, marred by anger and despair and grief and guilt, I experience blessedness and, and joy and peace. And that's not to say, I don't want you to hear me say that if we take our thoughts captive to obey Christ, that's going to solve all of our problems, that we're going to have lives that are problem-free. No, we know that we're going to have trials and tribulations this side of glory. It's, it's, it's reality, right? But the fact is, in the midst of those trials and tribulations, if we have right thinking about God, which leads to right acting and speaking and behaving, we're going to experience things like joy and blessedness in the midst of our trials. James illustrates this point very well in chapter 3 of his letter. He writes, starting in verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have better, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So according to James, if you've got bitterness and selfish ambition in your hearts, if that's the life that you're experiencing, it's the product of unspiritual thinking. It's the product of demonic, earthly thinking. It's the product of disorder and vile practices, which is really unrighteous behavior. It's a product of the mind set on the flesh. However, if our thoughts are set on the things of the Spirit, if the mind is set on the Spirit, the results will be peace and purity and reasonableness, mercy, sincerity. And our experience of life will be a harvest of righteousness. So when you think about your interactions with people over this past week and you, you think about the kind of life that you've experienced, what does that say about your thinking on that continuum? What does that say about your thinking as it relates to God and man? Now what if in this upcoming week, if, as you interacted with people and you were mindful to take every lofty opinion formed against the knowledge of God and you take those lofty opinions and submit them to obey Christ, what do you think your experience of life would be like this coming week? It's going to be a tremendous difference. It'll be a harvest of righteousness. So where do we go from here? Where do we, now that we know how our thinking shapes how we experience life and how we view the world and how we view ourselves, how do we, how do we build a foundation of biblical thinking? A couple things I want to I point out. The first thing we need to do is we need to recognize that in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in, hidden, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, what that tells us is our thinking needs to start and end with Jesus Christ. We need to understand that in Christ, if in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, any arguments raised against the knowledge of God are ultimately wrong. They're misguided. They're false. All the opinions of the world are untrue. It's, not, it's viewing life through the wrong filter, through the wrong set of glasses. It's not reality. And we need to start by bringing every aspect of our thinking into subjugation to the lordship, rule, and reign of Christ. And we need to ask ourselves some tough questions like, like, is there any area of my life where I'm looking for wisdom or looking for solutions to my problems outside of the truth of Christ? Ask yourself that. I ask, I ask myself those same questions. Is there any area of my thinking that I'm holding back from him, that I'm not willing to submit to him? That's a really tough one. I struggle with that one, too, when we think about what areas of our lives are we unwilling to submit to him? We all have them. The second thing we need to do is we need to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 say, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we must walk in him. And the way we walk in him is we are rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. And Paul tells us exactly how to do that. He writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We can take Jesus at his own words. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Familiar verses. So once we recognize that Christ, the, the divine word of God in the flesh, the incarnate word, is the source of wisdom and knowledge, and we align our thoughts and our obedience to his word, we walk in him, and our faith increases, and our roots grow deeper. The roots grow deeper. We have to be in the word constantly. We have to be renewing our thinking and renewing our minds because we're bombarded daily by lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. It's why that discipline of, of daily being in the word is so important. And when we do that, when we spend time hearing what Christ has to say, we understand that all, and we understand that all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him, our roots grow deeper. It's the only way that we're going to be able to stand in the midst of a world that's gone completely off the rails and does everything based on the opinion of what people think are right and wrong in a world where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank you that as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are rooted in him, we are built up in him. So I pray, Father, that you would increase our faith, that you would just give us wisdom, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds, that you would just help us to see the truth and the glory of your gospel. I just thank you and praise you for all of these things. In Christ's name, amen.